It's good to see everybody tonight, and it's good to be home for a few days. As was mentioned, we're going to be talking about Matthew chapter 24. And Matthew chapter 24 is one of the most controversial teachings in the entire Bible. You've probably seen some of the different and various book series that have been written. Uh, there's one by Jerry Jenkins and Tim LaHaye. Best-selling books sold millions and millions of copies, all based on a false doctrine that has been extracted from Matthew 24 about this process of events that would occur leading up to the time of Jesus' second return. And that's the way this chapter and this teaching from Jesus in Matthew 24, also in Mark 13, and it's also recorded in Luke 21, has been taken. That's the conclusion people have drawn, that this is about the end of days. And a very important thing when looking at Bible prophecy is to let the Bible interpret itself. And so we can get into a lot of trouble if we just look at someone's teachings, uh, such as Jesus, and look at what he taught and just decide what it means. But Jesus himself gave us some indications about what his teaching was referred to and also referring to some of the prophets helps us to connect some dots so that we can know exactly what Jesus was teaching about in this chapter. So we're going to go 24, 1 through 35. We're not going to do the whole chapter. We do, we do not have time. There is just too much. So as we get started, we're going to move rather quickly through some of this. Uh, we will have a couple of references that will be from other places to help us understand what's happening. And so keep that in mind. But I will have the scriptures on the screen. I believe all of them will be on there. So I've entitled this, When Shall These Things Be? Because that's the question that prompted Jesus to tell them all of these events that would occur. But we have to go back and see what was happening before that. So in verse 1, it says, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. Now I think this is somewhat humorous, that they, they wanted Jesus to come look. Come look at this grand structure, Jesus. You know, like... Like you'd be impressed by that. But it was an impressive structure. In fact, historians have recorded that the third temple that was built, it's the third temple because two of them were destroyed, but the third temple that was built was this magnificent structure that would have been in comparison to the seven wonders of the world. It was just an extravagant, massive structure on the east side of Jerusalem, Jesus said. Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, I want you to think about this. Now, if these were just bricks, that would not be really anything to think about. But these were not bricks. They weren't bricks at all. And historians have recorded that some of these bricks were as long as 60 feet long. 60 feet long. 9 foot tall and 8 foot deep. And Jesus said, not one of these will be left on another. It has been recorded that when Titus brought in the army to besiege Jerusalem, when they actually got into the city, that they got all the men and they pushed these stones off of one another because they melted the gold that was between them. And that's what they were doing. That's why they toppled all the stones, just as Jesus had prophesied would happen. And that's when that occurred. So as Jesus tells them about this temple being destroyed, I want you to think about the disciples and think about their mindset as, as they come to him privately and they ask him a question. So they leave, they go to the Mount of Olives, and if you remember, that's, that's a little ways outside of, on the east side of Jerusalem. 
And when they got there, the disciples, and it doesn't say the 12, but it's a group of Jesus' followers, they come to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, this is most of the time translated into the world. I don't necessarily have a, a problem with either one of those, but I want you to think about what they're asking Jesus told them this temple's going to fall down. There's not going to be one stone left on another. And that prompted them to ask him three questions. When will these things be? So that's the question, when? When's this going to happen? Jesus is going to tell them when. But also they ask this, what will be the sign of your coming? Because they're thinking, okay, if this is going to happen, surely there's going to be some type of warning. There's going to be something that's going to happen so that we know when it's happening. And they said in the end of the world. Now, I've heard some say that, well, this is actually just talking about the end of the Jewish age. But I think there's a problem with that interpretation. And here's why. Jesus didn't say the end of the world. The disciples did. They asked the question. They didn't know there was going to be an end of the Jewish age. They didn't understand the gospel, much less understood that the old law was going out, that the Jewish nation was going out, and there would be a new covenant established. So they wouldn't have asked him when will be the end of the Jewish age because they had no idea that was happening. I believe what they were thinking was this. Man, when the temple's destroyed, that's got to be it. That's got to be the, the end of all things. And that's what they were asking about. And so Jesus answers all these questions, and he answers these first two questions in chapter 24, and then he answers the other questions in chapter 25 as he begins to talk about the parable of the virgins, the ten virgins. He also gives the parable of the sheep and goats, which talks about the end of the world, the literal end of the world. So as Jesus answered their questions, that's what they asked about. When will these things be? What things? Jesus said not one stone will be left on another. That's what he told them. That's what they asked about. So, you say, you just skipped a lot of verses. We're doing this for a reason. Because before we read the rest of Matthew 24, we have to understand, as I said, let the Bible interpret itself. Jesus gives us the when in verse 34. Here's what Jesus said in verse 34. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. So here's what we can know with certainty. From verse 4 to verse 34, everything that Jesus said would happen is going to happen in this generation that he was speaking to. Now how do we come to that conclusion? Because Jesus said so. All these things will take place before this generation passes. So is it about the end of the world? Well, no, the world didn't end in that generation. But everything that Jesus talked about and prophesied about happened in that generation. So we're going to see some language that we would probably say, well, that sounds like the end of the world. Well, a lot of things sound like the end of the world. And we'll notice some of that tonight, even from the Old Testament. So going to verse four, Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. Now, remember what they asked him about. When are these things going to happen? And Jesus says, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. Now, why is he talking about someone coming in his name? Because they said, what will be the sign of your coming? And so Jesus says, well, you better watch out because this is not the sign of my coming, but there will be people that will say, I have come. They're going to come and they're going to say, I am Christ. 
and will deceive many. But he said, you watch out. Don't you be deceived by that. That's not the sign of my coming. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. He said, you're going to hear about a lot of things that you might look at and think that they're signs of my coming. You may think that they're signs of the end of the world, but he said, look, they're just going to happen. And don't you be deceived by it. And the end is not coming. For nation will rise against nation. He's now talking about wars. And kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of sorrows. Now, again, we could look at these things and say, well, famines, pestilences, and earthquakes. That sounds like perilous times. Well, it was perilous times. But all those things actually happened in their generation. As far as famines are concerned, there were famines, many famines in the first century before Jerusalem's destruction, which happened in AD 70. And the scriptures even record one such famine that was worldwide. Notice Acts 11, 27. And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch, and there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be great dearth, that is famine, throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Claudius Caesar reigned and ruled before the destruction of Jerusalem. A worldwide famine happened. What did Jesus say? There's going to come famines. He also said there's going to come other things. There's going to come pestilences. There were actually large pestilences that happened that killed a large group of people. And by pestilences, we're talking about plagues. And, and I'm not going to say it was the black plague, but that's the kind of thing that we would think of with pestilences is something like that. He also talked about earthquakes happening in diverse places. And there, there were places it was very unusual for them to have earthquakes. And all these happened before the destruction of Jerusalem. Before AD 70, there were earthquakes that occurred in the following places. Crete, Smyrna, Miletus, Chios, Asmos, Rome, Apamia, however you say that, Laodicea, Hierapolis, Colossae, Campania, Philadelphia, and Judea. These were not places that were accustomed to having earthquakes, but they happened all over the place, and historians recorded these various events. So even though we might read that and go, that's got to be the end of the world. Remember, Jesus said, all these things will come to pass before this generation does. So we have to keep that in mind. And history records that these things actually occurred. Going into verse 9, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Now, if you ever read uh, some of history that's written, whether it's Josephus or, or if it's one of the other historians that talked about the days that these people lived in, what you're going to see is some terrible things happen to Christian in those days. They suffered unimaginable things. We, we couldn't imagine the type of persecution that was happening in this time, especially during the reign of Nero Caesar, which was before the destruction of Jerusalem. And Nero especially persecuted Christians to death. Uh, he was a very, very mad man. He was also a very evil man, and he did not mind tormenting Christians and making a public display of them. And Jesus told him, this is going to happen. And he said, some of you are going to be offended. And it doesn't mean they're going to get their feelings hurt. It means they're going to leave me. They're going to leave the faith. And people did do that. When the persecution really got to a point where it was heated, a lot of Christians denied the faith. And 
Part of the reason was because as they were being tortured, that's what was being requested of them by these Romans, was you deny Jesus. And some of them didn't, and some of them died for Jesus. And some of them did deny Jesus, and they lived, but they were also branded. Not literally branded, but they were, they were marked by the church. Okay, I know we're moving quickly, but we're, we're trying to get somewhere. And because lawlessness will abound, he says, love, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And I, I believe he's talking about enduring the persecution and all the things that were coming upon them. Then he says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Someone says, that's got to be the end of the world. Well, again, let's let the Bible interpret itself. So let's, let's investigate this just for a moment. Was the gospel preached to all the world before Jerusalem was destroyed? Mark 13, 10. The gospel must first be preached to all nations. To all the world, to all nations. Now, when we read that, sorry about that. When we read the word world, we might think, oh, well, he's talking about every single continent in the world. You know, Antarctica, North America, all that. Well, that's not what it says. So let's be careful about that. <clears throat> Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Jesus told his apostles to do this. Did they accomplish that? Paul said, yes, they did. Look at Colossians chapter 1, 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, now listen, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven. Paul said this in the past tense when he wrote the letter to Colossae and he said the gospel was preached to every creature. In other words, they took the gospel to the known world. Jesus said that would happen. Before all these things would occur, the gospel would first be preached to all nations. Now I want to ask you a question. Why would Jesus want the gospel to be spread to everybody before Jerusalem is destroyed? Well, I think it's important for us to ask the question, why did God allow Jerusalem to be destroyed? And the scriptures are very plain about it. It's because they rejected Christ. And so he gave everybody a chance to hear the gospel before he brought judgment against the Jewish nation. Verse 14, and this is really key. This is so important to understanding this chapter. And so we're going to settle on this for just a few minutes. So Jesus gives them all this teaching and then he says this, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. So before we get to all this, I want you to notice that after uh, Matthew quotes Jesus, he says this. Now this is not Jesus here in the parentheses. This is Matthew in the parentheses writing this to whoever is receiving this letter. So he says about the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet. Whoever reads, let him understand. In other words, what he's saying is, okay, you need to understand this. If, when you're reading this, you need to understand what's being said here. What is the abomination of desolation that was spoken of by Daniel the prophet? Let's go. Daniel 9, 26. This is where Daniel spoke about 
the abomination of desolation. Now, we don't have time to get into all the weeks and all that, but I want you to notice what the time frame is and what Daniel's talking about. And then we're going to go to Luke, and Luke's going to clear everything up for us because Luke recorded this discourse from Matthew 24 in the 21st chapter, and he makes it very plain. But let's first look at Daniel. Verse 26, after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. Now, that's pretty plain to us, isn't it? It wouldn't have been to the Jew when they read Daniel, but it's very plain to us what that means, that he would be cut off, but not for himself. He would die for his people. And the people of the prince who is, uh, who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with the flood until the end of the war. Listen, desolations are determined. Verse 27, then he shall confirm a covenant with many for a week, for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. So I'm going to highlight some words here, and I want you to notice what the abomination of desolation is. The abomination of desolation is when the abomination, that is the people of the prince, which is Rome, would come and they would destroy Jerusalem and they would destroy the temple. That's the abomination of desolation. When did that happen? Right after Jesus died, was risen, and went back and they started preaching the gospel. And in the middle of them preaching the gospel, notice what happened. He will confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week, he will bring an end to sacrifice and offering. What happened when, the, when, the, when Jerusalem was destroyed? No more sacrifices. No more offerings. No more priesthood. It's done. And the destruction of Jerusalem was the nail in the coffin for the Jewish religion. And it was also the greatest declaration that Jesus is king. The Jews that rejected Jesus, they could not deny that Jesus was exactly who he said he was because he prophesied that all of this would come about. Every single bit of it. Here's what Luke said in 21. This is Luke's record of the abomination of desolation. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that the desolation is near. That's emphatic. This is not talking about the end of days. It's not talking about the end of the world. It's talking about when Jerusalem was encompassed by armies that Daniel prophesied about. And we sometimes don't understand the impact that that point in history had on the changing of the world. Without this, the Jews would have continued to persecute the church. Rome would have continued to persecute the church. Matthew 23, you say, well, you backed up a chapter. That's right. How did Matthew 23 end? Right before it transitions to Matthew 24, when they brought him outside and they showed him the temple, what did Jesus tell the Pharisees? He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the ones who kill the prophets and stones those who are sent unto you. Now listen, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left unto you desolate, the abomination of desolation. He told them judgment's coming. 
I came here and I wanted to secure you. I wanted to protect you, but you wouldn't let me. And judgment's coming. Desolation is coming to your house. And that's exactly what happened. Make no mistake about it. God protected Israel from destruction when they were faithful to him. And two other times, God allowed other nations to come in and destroy them because of their sin. And on this third time, when God allowed it to happen, and it was by the hand of Rome, that was the end of it. And make no mistake about it, Rome coming in and destroying Jerusalem was God's judgment against the Jews. It was God's judgment. So going back to 15, verse 15 to Matthew 24 and repeating this, therefore, here's the admonition Jesus gives. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, what's he talking about? Therefore, when you see Jerusalem encompassed by armies, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let's say this is talking about the end of the world. What good's it going to do you to go to the mountains? How's it going to help the Judeans to go to the mountains if Jesus returns? It's not. But this is exactly what history records happened when the Romans came in and encompassed the city. They were watching for the signs that Jesus gave. And when they saw Rome encompass the city, the Christians flew. They left and they went to the mountains to be protected. You know why? Because they knew judgment was coming. Did you know there were some Christians that didn't leave? There were some that didn't. And we'll get to that in just a moment. He says also, let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flock may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. How would this pertain to the return of Jesus? That makes no sense at all. But think about this. Rome comes and surrounds the city and Jesus first says, go to the mountains. But then he says this, and when you go, don't go back and try to get your stuff. Don't go back and get your stuff. You just get out. You just get out and go. And he says, I feel sorry for people that are pregnant and nursing. You know why? Because it's hard for nursing women to travel. And he says, you pray that your flight be not in winter or on the Sabbath. Why? Because it's hard to travel in the winter. And also, the gates of the city are closed on the Sabbath day. They're not going anywhere. This is all about literal Jerusalem and them escaping literal Jerusalem and the destruction that was coming upon literal Jerusalem, the city. Verse 21, for then there will be great tribulation such as has not been seen the beginning of the world until This time, no, nor shall ever be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. So, verse 22, what history records is that the first time that Vespasian's army comes around Jerusalem, they encompass the city. And a lot of the Christians fled and left, but there were some that didn't. And for some reason, he pulled his armies back and he went home. And then they came back. And when they came back, guess what happened? The rest of those Christians flew. And I believe that's what he's talking about when he says, for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Because they came in to persecute them and then they left. And then the rest of the elect escaped. Did you know that that, uh, Josephus recorded that not one Christian was killed in the besiege on Jerusalem? Not one. 
No record of any Christians dying. You know how many Jews were killed? A million and 300,000 plus. It was awful. It was awful. And when Jesus says, great tribulation such as not been since the beginning of time let me tell you what he's talking about Josephus records that when they besieged the city after a while the people started starving and mothers started cooking and eating their children it was awful they were eating gold and jumping over and the Romans had built this giant berm around the city and as the Jews were trying to escape Jerusalem as they get up there the Romans would kill them and, and history records that they would cut them open and dig the gold out of their bellies this was a sick time, a sad time, a time of great tribulation. And it's awful, the things that happen. But it was the result of their sin and the result of them rejecting Jesus as their king. And Jesus told us these things would occur. So he returns and he says, then if anyone says to you, look, here is Christ, or there, he says, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you before, and I think he's referring back to earlier in the chapter. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go. Or look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. He says, if somebody comes and tells you, hey, Christ has come back, he said, don't you believe that. And then listen to what he says in the next verse. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. So let's examine what Jesus said here. He says, if somebody comes to you and says, hey, we found Jesus, he's out in the desert, or hey, he's up in this room, he says, don't believe that. Because when I come back, there's not going to be anybody that's going to need to be told I'm here or there. Because it's going to be like when the lightning flashes all the way across the sky, Nobody will not see it when I come back. And then he says this, for where the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. What? What? When I come back, he said, it's going to be like the lightning flashes from one end of the sky to the other because there's going to be dead bodies and, car and uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Scavengers. That's the word I'm looking for. What's going to be the sign? Dead bodies everywhere and scavengers flying around the sky. That was the declaration of Jesus. That was the sign of the Son of Man. And it was something that no one could ignore. He said, look, when I come back, everybody's going to know it. There's not going to be a need to say, I'm over here, I'm over there. You'll know I'm here. Because the sign of the Son of Man coming is not talking about the second coming of Jesus, but the coming of Jesus in judgment as king against the nation of Israel. He says in verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. That's got to be the end of time, right? It's got to be the end of time. I wonder if we ever see anything else like this in Scripture. Such as the sun being darkened, the moon not giving its light, the stars falling from heaven. We see this all over prophecy. 
In fact, we see it all the way back in Isaiah 13. The burden of Babylon, which Isaiah, the son of Amos, did see. And this is about the destruction of Babylon, the end of that empire. Notice the language. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. Now listen to verse 10. For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in his going forth. The moon shall, cause her light, uh, shall not cause her light to shine, and I will punish the world for their evil and the wicked for their iniquity. This isn't about the end of the world. This was about the destruction and the end of an empire. And the same language is used, and not only with Babylon, but also with Adamir, or as we would call it, Edom. Isaiah 34, verse 4, and all the host of heaven shall be dissolved. Really? And the heavens shall be rolled together as a scroll, and all their hosts shall fall down. What's the host of heaven? It's the stars and the planets. Did that literally happen? Did that literally happen when Edom fell? No, this is figurative language that is one of those buzz phrases in prophecy that when you see it, you know that great change is coming, an empire is falling. And every time an empire fell, this is the language that was used. In Ezekiel 32 and verse 2, when it talks about the fall of Egypt, he said, Son of man, take up a lamentation for Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and say unto him, Thou art like a young lion of the nations, and thou art as a well in the seas, and thou camest forth with thy rivers, and troubledst the waters with thy feet and foulst their rivers. I will also water with thy blood the land wherein thou swimmest, even to the mountains and the rivers shall be full of thee. And when I shall put thee out, I will cover the heaven, make the stars thereof dark. I will cover the sun of the cloud and the moon shall not give her light. All the bright lights of heaven will I make dark over thee and set darkness upon the land, says the Lord. Figurative language, not literal dissolving of all of the elements of the heavens but language indicating the end of an empire. In fact, the same language is, is used in one of our most common readings in Acts chapter 2. At the day that the church was established because Joel had prophesied about the end of Judaism and the beginning of Christianity and uses the same language that the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light. So we read those things and it sounds somewhat like end of everything. Just like when they heard about the stones, they thought end of everything. But Jesus told us that wasn't the end. He will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the heaven to the other. Well, that sure sounds like Jesus' second return, doesn't it? But Jesus himself said all these things will come to pass. All these things will come to pass before this generation passes. I believe this is the messengers. That's what the word angels is. It, it means messenger. And the messengers did what? When Rome came and they surrounded the city, people went and said, the time's come. We got to get out of here. We've got to leave. And the people were saved because they listened to the message because they heeded the words of Christ. Verse 32, now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch is already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Now let's stop right there and think about this parable. This is one of those parables that Jesus gave that's very simple to understand. It doesn't have a bunch of different interpretations or meanings. It's just very simple. 
When you go out and you see the tree and you see that, it, the, that the branch is not stiff and it bends and it has leaves on it, what do you know? Summer's near. Okay, that's the parable. Very simple parable, right? He's saying, look, when you see that, you know that's what's happening. So when you see these things, you know what's about to happen. That's, that's the parable. Be watching. Just as you can go outside and look at a tree and tell that summer's near, you need to be watching for all the things I just talked about because then you're going to know it's near. And then look at verse 34. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Every one of them. Now, wouldn't it be confusing if Jesus gave us some things about the destruction, some things about the end of the world, and then said, hey, all this is going to happen all this is going to take place in this generation. That would be very confusing, wouldn't it? It would also not be true. Why would Jesus make a time statement like this if he wasn't talking about things that would occur in their generation? We get hung up on wanting to see signs. I'll tell you why the end of days is such a popular doctrine. Because men are living in sin and they think I've still got time. And maybe if I see the rapture happen or I see the tribulation coming or the Antichrist take over, that'll be my sign that, okay, now it's time to get serious. And Jesus said an adulterous generation seeks after a sign. That's why men want signs. Because their faith is weak. But Jesus gave them signs about the coming destruction to save their life. He's talking to his disciples who were already living and following Christ about how to save their life from the judgment that God was going to bring through Rome on the Jews. Last verse of the evening. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. This has been one of those verses that people looked at and said, see, See, this is talking about heaven and earth passing away. Let's look at what Jesus actually said. He said, they will by no means pass away. What? His words. Here's what Jesus is saying. The words that I'm telling you are more sure than the foundation of heaven and earth. Because heaven and earth will one day pass away. But what I'm telling you is going to happen. It's going to happen. What I'm telling you is not a maybe. What I'm saying is sure. It's going to happen. This is very similar to when Jesus talked about the law. About not one jot or tittle will by no means pass away from the law. But what did he start that with? Heaven and earth will pass away. What was Jesus saying when the law passed away, that heaven and earth would pass away? No, it's the same type of statement, that heaven and earth will pass away. That's something that's sure. But he said, here's what else is sure. My words will not pass away, just like not one tiller jot will pass from the law. It's a certain thing, and it saved a lot of lives. And the people who didn't listen to Jesus, who didn't heed his words, were consumed by his wrath.